We have much to be thankful for. We do. We take for granted a lot of things that we should be thankful for. Amen. But God has been good to us this year. He's brought us a long way, supplied a lot of people's needs, and gave a lot of people a, a renewed interest in spiritual matters. Sometimes you thought it wasn't going to work, and God made it to work. Sometimes you thought this was going to end, and you're still involved. You're still here. You're really not broke. You're not down. You're here. And I'm thankful for that. Because if you weren't here, I wouldn't come here. I want to talk today about that subject of be ye thankful. And I want you to open your Bibles this morning to Colossians chapter 3. And then probably Philippians chapter 4, which is one book back the other way. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. Now this message is as a result of me looking back, not only the past year, but the past 30 plus years for me and for some of you. And how wonderful it is to look back and to be reminded of how good God was to you and that he still has you in his grip. He is, still has you in his hand and he is still motivating and inspiring you. You could have left and quit, some did, a long time ago, but he kept you. And so we have much, as this verse will tell us, these verses, we have much to be thankful for. Verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you're called in one body. And what does he say? And be ye thankful. And be ye thankful. And notice he said in verse 17, well, verse 16, let's do that. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now, two verses there, the word thanks or thankful is used. There's about 100 plus references in the Bible with the word thanks, thanksgiving, or thankful. The message to us is that we are here, we came to God as a bunch of losers, and we have been made winners. And a whole new world has opened up to us that could have never been opened up unless God did it. Because there's a world out there that's blind. I'm not talking about bad people. They just never had their eyes open as you have or to the degree that you have. Things are still a blur. There's still no real hope out there. Nothing's for sure. It's a world which has no, no real future because you never know what you're going to do. Nobody does. The medical world, they try their very best, and then they will tell you at the end, well, there's nothing more that we can do. There's no hope. There's nothing in the future. It's hard to be thankful when that's all you've got. But when God opens your eyes and brings you into a life you don't deserve and gives you a book filled with his word, full of his promises to you, 
things that he promises that he will do, that he watches over to perform. Our life should be prefaced every day with the words, thank you. Giving thanks to God. If you think about it, almost every testimony I've ever heard here in this building began with, I want to thank the Lord. Because that's the way it should be. Why do you want to thank the Lord? Why didn't you thank the system out there? Why didn't you thank the inventor or the laboratory that found out that? Because that's not who our thanks goes to. Our thanks goes to God. I thank God. He said, be ye thankful. This is what we're called to do, to be ye thankful. Look in the next book, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, the book right before this. Philippians chapter 4, very known common verse. Be careful for nothing. That is, don't worry about anything. Don't get stressed out about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with what? With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. But there it is. Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about it. Make it a matter of prayer. Bring it to God. It's just like we don't ignore our circumstances. We don't ignore what's coming down the road to face us. We don't just act like, oh, no, we make it a matter of prayer. We got to deal with it. So you take what's coming and you deal with it with prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving is a sign you're believing. You're thanking God for good results, deliverance, healing, hope, health, whatever it is. You're thanking God for an answer to prayer when the situation doesn't seem to have been answered yet. It's the way we live. It's the way we've been taught. It's the way God's word has come to us. I don't think it comes this way to all Christians. I don't know that they've been taught like that. I hope you have been. When you approach God in prayer, you are to believe that when you pray, that he heard you. And that you know if he heard you, then you should know that you have, even though you can't see it, that you have what you asked for. Now, if I believe I have it because I prayed for it, and when I pray, I believe, if I believe God heard me, and I pray something that's according to his will, as I go by the book he gave me to go by, he said, if when you pray, you believe that the Lord has heard you, then you know that you have what you've asked for. Well, why wouldn't I be thankful? The only reason I wouldn't be thankful after I pray is because I'm not sure. That's why it didn't work. It's because you got to believe. What did Mark eleven twenty four 24 say? You surely know that. But what things soever you desire, when you pray, you believe that you have received what you asked for. You can't see it, feel it, taste it, touch it, smell it, or hear it. Your senses don't relate to this, but we're not talking about walking by sight. We're talking about walking by faith. I believe that what God has promised, he intended to do. You agree? That what he has promised is what he intends to do. All he needs is my faith. And if when I pray, I really believe, it's natural to say, Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And folks say, what are you thanking the Lord for? 
for such and such. Well, where is it? It's on its way. Well, how do you know? I believe. And you're strange. I know how people view people who live the way I just said. I've been amongst them early in my life and had to walk away from a lot of them. Because the most precious thing I have this morning is my faith. Because it's what attaches me to God. It's what brings me into relationship with God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. How do you prove God? You don't hear him, see him, he doesn't touch you. How do you know there's a God? You believe. How do you know you're healed when you don't look healed and you don't <laughs> sound healed or feel healed? Why are you saying you're healed? I believe. And as a result of my believing, my hands want to do this. Thank you, Jesus. Praise be to God for his goodness. Thank you, Lord. When you live like this in anticipation of what God said that he's going to do it, you live thankful. You don't have to see it. Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. He was thankful for a promise that hadn't been fulfilled yet, even before it was fulfilled. Abraham was expecting a child. He didn't keep asking for it. God said he would give it, so praise the Lord, I'm going to get one. I'm sure the people he testified to thought he'd been out in the sun too long or was old and feeble or getting some mental problems. Because he said, it shall be as he said. That's why we're thankful. We're not here this morning thankful because we've all got two chickens in a pot and three cars in a garage and a new home paid for on the hill with kids that are all intelligent. That's not why we're thankful. We're thankful tonight that whatever we need, God will supply it. Praise the Lord. That's why we no longer worry like we used to worry. That's why we're no longer stressed the way we used to be stressed. God has given us something in his word that has impacted our thinking, our living, and our lives. It's the reality that he that spoke it will do it. Remember Numbers 23, 19, one of the finest verses there is. God is not a man that he should lie, neither is he the son of man that he should repent. If he has said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. Praise the Lord. Praise be to God. Then it's settled. It'll be done. The daughter's son will be saved. They don't sound, say, I don't care what they sound like. I don't care what they look like or where they are. They will be. God did not give me aimless promises that don't have a promise of answer. He gave me sure and certain promises that are steadfast, and he'll bring them to pass if I believe them. That's why I'm thankful today. That's why I praise the Lord today. That's why the writer Hebrews says, let us there also offer unto God the sacrifices of praise. That is the fruit of our lips, which give thanks to God. Even your praise is an act of thanksgiving. You're praising God because you are thankful for something. In Jehoshaphat's day, they were whooping and a hollering before they even saw the enemy. What were they whooping and a hollering for? If you use the word whooping and a hollering. What were they thankful for? A promise. Didn't somebody prophesy that they were going to win? They wouldn't need to fight? They were thinking, they were, woo, praise God, before they even saw the people that were going to try to kill them. 
based on a prophecy of one young man who spoke up. The whole nation, all that were there, a small nation, but all of them, they begin to, well, let's use the words whoop and holler, rejoice. Why do they rejoice? Because they were thankful. I am thankful that God has given us a word and God cannot lie. He cannot go back on his word. And he has just told us we will not need to fight. He will take care of us. So praise God. And I'm sure today, if somebody prophesied that, there might be a few whooping and a hollering. Maybe that'd be a good title for the message, whooping and hollering. There have been a whole lot of people that just been standing on the outside of this too long. They've been on the border of the city of where it's going on, just standing like Peter did when Jesus was crucified, standing afar off to see what the end would be, to see how it's going to go, whether I should get in or stay out. And they probably wouldn't have whooped and hollered because they're not that sure. That's why when they go to church, they don't give thanks. The best they could ever do was in a church, first, second, and third stanza. It might have been the word Thanksgiving in a song. But that's the limit of it. It's not like it came from the heart. I'm really thankful for all the good way God has led me this year. I'm thankful for a good wife, or I'm, she's thankful for a good husband. But we're thankful for so much. Amen. What do I need? Let me ask you a question. What do I need that I cannot believe for? What do I need that God has not already made provision for? Hallelujah. Then whom should I fear? Why should I worry about anything? If God is for me, who can be against me? Praise God. This is the way it should be for us. This is the way it's supposed to work. We should be thankful people. The psalmist himself said it is a good thing to give thanks. We sing that, don't we sing that? It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, and here it is again, and to sing praises. They go together. Praising people are thankful people. That's not intended to put anybody down, but if you're not a praising person, you probably need to be put down or encouraged or reminded. I mean, we have so much this morning. In spite of your difficulties this year or whatever has happened, you're still here. You're still intact. You haven't quit. Somebody's got their hand on you. Still, you have much to be thankful for. You have a reason to raise your hands and praise the Lord. And when you don't, there's something that is thankless in us. Oh, I was reminded of that so real this week. How many Christian people have become thankless? No longer expressing an attitude of gratitude towards God. No longer grateful. No longer acknowledging as they look at their life and where they are and how they are. No longer acknowledging that God is the one who brought it. Therefore, if you don't, then there's kind of a quietness in your life. Remember Psalm 100. I will enter his gates with sorrow. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. I will enter his courts with praise. Let me ask you a question. What is Thanksgiving? 
isn't Thanksgiving simply, as the dictionary said, it'd be the opposite of murmuring or complaining. Or Thanksgiving would be the opposite of indifference. I mean, I'd go to church, I'd sit down and take my seat as I grew up. And you look at the bulletin to tell you what God's going to do, and then you sing first, second. He never likes that third stanza, so we sing first, second, and fourth stanza, and we sit down. We go through the motions of a routine or a ritual, whatever you want to call it. We go through the way, the system of worship. And there's hardly any time or place in there that you have a chance to just bear witness to God and others how thankful you are. How thankful you are. How, how much gratitude I have for God. As I, again, I'm 73. I look at God. I look back all these years. I can be thankful for the fact that before I was saved, his hand was upon me. I should have died when my sister died. Back when I was, what, three years old? And she died. I should have died too. He said, said take him home. He won't live. I'm thankful today that I did because according to the powers that be, I couldn't live. I'm going to die. That would have been tragic because I would have never gotten to know you. I would have had my harp, I believe. I would have all of that, but I'm so thankful. A time I remember I was going to run across the road there where I grew up, run across the downtown, just run across the, where the highway goes through town. And a car screeched and slid and missed me by so much. And I'm standing there. That was a moment. I've never forgotten that moment. I never talk about it much. You've heard all the stories. You haven't heard that one. So we'll leave it alone. (laughs) But just so much I look back and I am thankful for that it didn't turn out bad. And that God secured me and kept me from evil. Or the time swimming when you got to cramp and you only had a little bit to go, but you weren't sure you could make it, but you did. Or the night at the big rock quarry where we used to go swim. Playing, just swimming, jumping on the water. You didn't know you'd jump on people. Then we'd count heads every now and then and make sure everybody's still here. Or diving off the one Big high point of that quarry, you got to go between two rocks about that far apart. And if he hadn't said you're a chicken, I wouldn't have done it. But I sure didn't want to do it because he was nuts, and he did. He just dove up, came up. Come on in, chicken. And I, you know, all I had to do was be off, what, just a little bit to, I mean, the rocks are right there, boulders. There's a quarry. The boulders are right there. You don't know what's really behind it. It looked good, but he dove in anyway. How many times driving the car, the wreck, the spinning around, the this and that, and you're still here? If anybody on this earth this morning should have a reason to be thankful and have gratitude to God, it should be us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. The good way that God led us when he did bring us to him. God who opened the eyes that only God can open. If he doesn't open your eyes, you can't see. You can hear normal things and see normal things, but you can't see spiritual things. Thanksgiving is just a grateful acknowledgement of the benefits or favors, especially to God. It means to be thankful. It's to express gratitude 
and appreciation. And when you ask the question, why is it that so few then seem to be thankful? Why is it that so many Christians seem to be so unthankful? I think you're living in an age in which one of the signs of the age is unthankfulness. Isn't that right? You ever hold a door for somebody, like at the post office, and let somebody come in and they just stare at you as they walk by? You always trip them. <laughs> Some of us were raised to be kind like that, to be a gentleman or be a lady. It's just the way our parents raised us. I remember still, anytime you got anything from somebody, you said thank you. That was a word that had to go with you all the days of your life, and they should, to be thankful. That's what our message is titled, Be Ye Thankful. We should be thankful. We should be appreciative. When somebody does something for you, you should say thank you. You borrow something from somebody that did you a favor, you owe them a thank you. And when you don't say thank you, the impression that others get is, what a thankless person. Well, that's a sign of the last days. And how many of God's professing people assemble before him without it? And again, I'm not talking about people that are bad. Sure, we're going through things. We all do. But we still offer the sacrifice of praise in the midst of the storm. That's required of us. It's an indication you believe in God. It's what God wants us to do, to be thankful. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, the psalmist said. Many times, give thanks to God. Why God? Because he's the one who is behind the success anybody enjoys here. He is behind the one who, as you look back at just a few years, he's the one who did not allow this to happen, did not allow that to happen. I've heard testimonies here for 30 years about an accident that should have happened, a death that should have taken place, a victory that should have been lost because God did something. The car didn't spin or you, whatever it was, you've heard them. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God for his goodness. That means he has never left us nor forsaken us. He is there to keep us from dashing our feet against stones or keeping us from having those kind of accidents. He is constantly busy in your presence, guiding you. He said he would. And the least thing that we could do is to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. If I were to stop now and say, let's just give thanks unto God, you might do it because I told you to. It may not come out of your heart, but when we're through and you get a chance before we go home to give thanks, it's the least thing this morning. It is the very least thing that any of us could do. And yet it's one of the most important things that we'll ever do is to show God and to tell God, word or deed, that we're thankful. I thank you, God, that you've spared me. I thank you, God, that you've whatever, whatever, whatever. Let me give you some things this morning. I've jotted down a few things specifically, many more. Some things that we, I, me, and hopefully us, that we are thankful for. Number one, for his saving grace. For his saving grace. 
you surely know that grace primarily means favor. It's getting something you did not earn, getting something you did not deserve. In this case, when God does anything for you, assisting you, helping you, doing you good, rescuing you, anything that God does to you from his side is grace. All of us, like sheep, had gone astray. There was nobody in here who deserved salvation. And God caused sorrow to come into your life because of your sins, didn't he? Godly sorrow leads to repentance, doesn't it? There was that time you, one day, maybe it was building up like it did in my life, or one day it just happened. You went to church, you decided to go to church. And God touched your heart that day and you begin to cry. You begin to see how ridiculously evil your life is. Or how totally, as a Christian and a church member, as I was, how totally indifferent you are to God. I don't care about all that stuff, but I'm going to act like I do. And one day God, softly and tenderly, Jesus, and you think, oh God. That's the work of God. To save you. You're not saved because you go to church or your mom and dad are Christians. You have to be born again. Something that only God can do, He must do. And when He does it, it totally, forever, from that point on, changes your life. Your attitude changes. Your direction changes. Everything is altered by the influence of the Holy the divine nature is put in your heart and it will not leave you alone for God is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And if you're not doing that, then it didn't happen. You're just one of those nice people like I was that went to church. You just do what you do. But I look back and I think of that morning as you've heard about, and I don't mind if you've heard a lot, the morning that God turned my life around. I was a good church boy, taught Sunday school class, assistant superintendent of the Sunday school classes. <laughs> Try that one. And it came to me in, in reality that I was lost, that I was not a Christian. My mother probably thought I was. My friends knew I wasn't. But in the church setting, it came to me. You know what that was? That was grace. I look back, I look back, I look back at some of my friends. They were in the same room. And their life is no different today than it was when we grew up. Same evil nature. Sophisticated now, but still evil. Has nothing to do with God, not interested in God, except appearing before him once a week and doing whatever you do in your religion. But why one day did he break your heart? Why one day did God choose you out of all the people to touch your heart divinely so that you couldn't open your mouth? I mean, you were lost. I'm perishing. I cannot save myself. There's not a church in the world that I can go to that's good enough to refine me. I'm lost. It takes grace. And it came. Grace when I was growing up. Grace on June 30th, and even today, grace. 
It just keeps coming. He just adds grace upon grace to your life. And the more you engage him, the more grace comes. I'm not saying I'm embarrassed this morning, but I'll speak my heart to you. It seemed like there had been a time or two in my life I was a little embarrassed that I was blessed so much. Because I want you all to be blessed. too. I do. I want everybody in this room to be blessed, but spiritual. And if blessing would make you miss heaven, then I hope you stay less than blessed. Because I want you to go to heaven. And you don't go to heaven because you're here. You go to heaven because you believe and you live it. I may drive a new car up out here and I think there's a lot of folks that don't have that. And I think, you know, I, but I, I'm blessed. I'm not blessed because I'm fancy. I'm not blessed because I'm shrewd maneuver. I barely dicker with people about buying stuff. I just trust God when I go and that seems right. God supplies enough to do that. Yeah, I'll take it. I'm not trying to get a bargain or a deal. Just what, how, how much is it? All right, I'll give you that. And I seem to have favor with others. Do you ever have that? I hope you do because you've got something this morning to be thankful for. It humbles me. It doesn't make me think I'm some kind of Charlie Potatoes. You know, I'm not Mr. C, Mr. Cool, or K, however you spell it. I've been blessed. Grace has followed me around now for 40 plus years. It just follows me around like goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy are expressions of God's grace. It's what God does to make your life better the way he said it would be. Then the life that he shows you, when John 10 was, I am come, you might have life and have it how? And have it more abundantly. Shouldn't we? Shouldn't we have life abundantly? I'm not talking about I want everybody to be so wealthy that you quit church. I'm just saying it could be better than having nothing. Because you got promises here that deal with that. And when God sees your heart and faith embraces those promises and you bring those promises in prayer before God and release your faith with the promise, God brings it to pass. Your profiting may be seen by others. Obviously, God blesses you. Why? It's not because you're a preacher, but it's because you believe. How is it you're able to believe, Grace? For by grace, through faith, are you saved. It takes faith to activate grace, but grace brings faith. You write those down and go home and figure that out. Amen. I'm thankful this morning for his saving grace. Past, present, future. How about tomorrow? Will he be there tomorrow? Will I be met in the morning with God's favor, or will he abandon me? He'll be there, and his favor will await us tomorrow as it has all of my yesterdays. He has blessed us because he is gracious to us. He is gracious and kind. And when God is gracious to any of you here, should you not somehow be obligated to say thank you? 
Thank you. Even if it's kind of formal, I want to thank you this morning for grace. I want to thank you for leading me and protecting me and guiding me and supplying and on and on and on and on and on and on, everything that grace does. But he earns it. He deserves it. God deserves the very best that we can give. What about the struggles of life? Turn to Jude 24. What about those struggles of life? What is the revelation that grace will give you? Jude 24. Now unto him who is able. Does your Bible say who is able? If it doesn't, get another one. Now unto him who is able to do something you desperately need done in this life. Something that people cry about all the time. Church people cry about way too much. You desperately need what he said he's able to do. You know what it is? He is able to keep you from falling. And how many of you, young or old, have awakened some morning in your life or found yourself miserably condemned because of words or deeds? You said it, you did it, didn't get caught, but God knows your heart. And you found yourself saying, why bother trying to make this work? This stuff doesn't work. I've been to church and it just doesn't work for me. Is that what the Bible says? Let me tell you what your Bible says if you got it this morning. You've got to be able to find Judas right before Revelation, which is the end. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling. He's able to keep you from falling and not only keep you from falling, but to, at the end, your future, to present you before his throne. How? Faultless, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Who enables this to happen in our life? Say God. He's the one who said there he is able to keep you not only from falling away and giving up, but also he is able to do a work in you that at the end you'll be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You may say, well, I don't know how he's going to do that. I don't necessarily know either. But I know he will because he cannot lie. Remember, God is not a man. But he should lie. If he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, He'll make it good. That's right. And if he said he is able to keep me from falling, and he is able to present me, me, <laughs> her husband, <laughs> faultless, clean, white, the kind that get to ascend to the hill of the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart. God alone only can make that happen. There's no manual. There's no little booklet you fill out. There's no church system that can do that. Only God can do it. And he does it because you believe what he says in this word. I thank God for security. It's Isaiah 49 and verse 19, I think. He said a mother could sooner forget her nursing baby. What? I have a baby. What's going on here? A nursing mother is more likely to forget her nursing baby, God said, than I am to forget you. You're part of his program. Before the world began, he had your name. You know where it was? It's engraved on his hands. 
That's what he said. And when he chose you, he made you his. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never let you go. And he said in John chapter 10 and verse 28, he said, my father who gave them to me is greater than all and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Me, you, tattooed on the hand of God. And when he closes the hand, nobody can open it. He's God and you're there. And he loves you. He chastens you. He does a work in you. If you're his, that when you are done and you're without spot, wrinkle, and he's presented you faultless before the throne of his grace, he, the master doer of the lives of men, will look at you and say, well done. He did it. It'd have to be well done if he did it. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. How was it that we were faithful? It came by grace. It's all of God. And when God is through doing everything that he does, he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord that have been prepared for you from the foundations of the world. It was my intention to choose you before there was a world, before you even were. While the planet was without form and void and darkness covered the deep, you were in the mind of God. Ephesians 1 says so. And you came on this earth there was a certain day on your time. Destiny had a certain day appointed for you in which grace, saving grace, would come to you in a wonderful way. Whop! And you fell on your face in sorrow and repentance. And you asked God to forgive you. And he said, okay. And he did. And it's been a journey ever since. It should be. It's supposed to be. It's been a life ever since. A life of walking with him and being what he wants. It's the way God made us. It's the way he wants us to be. Let me tell you another thing we're thankful for. Hope. Hope for us is often in the sense of, well, I hope this works. Which means there's an uncertainty about hoping something comes to pass. But in the Bible, the word hope has to do with expectation. Like the coming of Christ. What does it say about Jesus? The coming of Jesus is our blessed hope. That's our expectation that Christ is coming. He said he would. And that's why we're living the way we live. Because when he comes, we want to be found by him the way he wants us to be, don't we? Amen. We want to make our calling and the election sure. We believe we're called, but we must live like we're called to give evidence to the fact that we believe we're called. And so we live like that in anticipation of his coming. Because this is how we do it. He's our hope. The coming of Jesus is our hope. Now because of hope, which I am so thankful for, because hope gives me assurance about all my tomorrows and the afternowns or the laters. God has already made a promise concerning my tomorrows. He's already, as I've said before, God is already in my tomorrows. He's already there. No evil is going to befall me and no plague is going to come nigh my dwelling because 
concerning me, he gave his angels charge and they will keep me in all my ways. Wherever the plagues are and all this other stuff is, I have something set in place on my behalf by the good grace of God that I can count on. Counting on it is hope. I believe that God is going to do this or that God is going to do that. He told me to take no thought, didn't he? Take no thought. If this or that happens, you take no thought. Don't you worry about anything. Let me see if we can remember something here in John 14. In my father's house are many mansions, many rooms, whatever you want to call it. Jesus said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Didn't he say something like that? And in verse 27 of John 14, he says, don't be afraid. Let not your heart be troubled. What would trouble us? Is it politics, political forecast? Are these media prognosticators who predict woe and taxes? And you're not going to have anything next year. You're all likely to be broke and poor, wearing rags and eating breadcrumbs. Oh, it's just going to be so bad. No, you know what? I've got something better. That's not true. That's what they want people to think. I don't know why, but, well, I do know why, but that's, that's not true. My hope is not in a political system of this world. My hope is not in a constitution. My hope is certainly not in the government or the power of a government. My hope is in something that is greater than all of that and formed all of that is God. And he's the one, again, who said he will do all those things I just spoke to you about. But he has opened my heart and my mind up to tell me that I don't have to be afraid about anything. Like the plagues that may come around, the plagues that come near your dwelling and all of those things. We don't have to be afraid of anything. Problem is, we listen to too much that negative people say, and it affects your faith. It does. It does. And the more negative stuff you listen to, the, the more you wonder about whether or not God really will do what he said. Or you get on these political talk shows. Do you really think that's of God? Do you really think all of this political backtalk and yakety yak about who's right and who's wrong? Do you really think that's of God? You think that's the way God wants you to live? Is that the kind of word he wants you to believe? So you can go around pointing your finger at one of the political parties and blame it. Is that the way he wants you to be? Well, that would violate Matthew 6 about taking no thought. He said, don't worry about tomorrow or your life or what you're going to wear or what you're going to eat. Just like his disciples fumbled around with words about leaven and didn't take any bread. And Jesus said, I'm not talking about stuff natural. We worked miracles to take care of our needs. We can do it in this century. I'm talking about if God said it, then it's got to be so. And if you believe it's so, then you expect that to happen. And that's what you're waiting on to happen. If God said it, then God will do it. That brings me up to my third point, And I want you to turn to Romans 11. A third point that goes with hope is faith. I'm thankful this morning for my faith. Yet my faith is the faith that God gave. So it's really not mine, it's his. 
But the faith that I have is based on my will. Everybody in this room has a will. You make choices all the time. When to put gas in your car, whether or not you want to pay that much for this or that, what you're going to wear, where you're going to go. We live that way. We stand before God approved or condemned because of that very thing, our will. Our wills. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, in regards to hope, which we just spoke of, faith is the substance of things expected. Let me say it that way. Faith is what gives reality to what you expect to happen. You really think, you really believe, you really believe that God is going to take care of you? Do you? Do you really believe that he will supply your needs? Do you really believe that God will secure you and protect you and keep you from falling and present you? Do you really believe that? Hey, it hasn't happened yet. It's only a promise. Or maybe you've experienced some of it already. But it's, it's a promise. Faith is what makes it real. Anybody can sit back and read the Bible and say, well, it says that I believe it. You know, I'm a believer. The Bible said Jesus rose from the dead. I believe he rose from the dead. Or the Bible said that Jesus walked on the water. I believe Jesus walked on the water. The Bible said Jesus raised the dead. I believe that Jesus raised the dead. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. I believe that Jesus is coming back. How do you know you believe that? You sure you haven't memorized that from a church that says it all the time and you're just saying what the church says? It could happen here. How do you know you believe that? How do you know? Are you thankful? Amen. Do you really believe that God's going to do all of that? <clears throat> then why do you run scared so much? Why do you call people on the phone and talk about your fears and your doubts? You're killing your faith. You're killing your faith. Now, we've all had our struggles. I've had mine, but I didn't quit. A righteous man may fall, but God will raise him up. Some of you were raised up, and God blessed after you got raised up. Praise God. But we're talking about faith this morning. Faith is what gives reality to what you're expecting to happen. How can you be so sure well, there's something in my heart that has embraced what God has said. And I am convinced or persuaded that he's going to do that. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. The only basis I have for believing is because that book says it. I can't prove that book to be true. I believe it's true. I accept its content as being what God gave me to believe. I believe this is the word of God. I believe he spoke more, but I believe he gave us this. This is enough. And what we have here is what is designed to set us free. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Oh, one more time. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie. He can be trusted, can he? God can be trusted because he doesn't lie. Nor does he take back what he said. 
He doesn't say one thing and say, no, I don't think I'll do that. He doesn't say, I'm the Lord that heals you, but I don't think I'll heal you. He doesn't do that. Man said that because man didn't get what he thought, what God promised. And if he didn't get it, then it doesn't work. Faith is a non-issue today. Let me tell you something. In our society right now, as I speak, in what we call Christendom, churches, Christian churches of various types and kinds, I do not believe that faith is much more anything than just a word. It's a word that is usually applied to the system. The Baptist faith, the Catholic faith, the Methodist faith. Faith is a word which simply applies to the system that they have embraced. It's not a way of life. They do not see the word faith as a requirement of life. We're talking about on Wednesday night, the just shall live how? By faith. Well, what's that mean? You really ought to find out. Because if, if it's not a faith, it's of self, it's sin. Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is counting on God to do what he said, even though no evidence of what he said is presence. Faith is just accepting as true what God says in his word. You can't make it true. God's word isn't true because you have faith in it. It's true because he said it, whether you have faith or not. God's word is the source of faith. It's what you have faith in. That's why we are thankful because we read the content. Seven or 8,000 promises. How could you not, if you believe, if you see that all those promises are for you, how could you not believe? How could you not be thankful? What if the president of the bank, your bank, wherever you bank, let me do better than that. What if, uh, who's the most trustworthy person that you know? In a bank. Well, let me take your president. I don't know him either, but he meets you at the door out here before you come into church and says, Kenneth. And he reaches in his little pocket and he says, here's a check for $15,000. No taxes. Government's going to say, keep this. Now, you get this after church is over. So you have church. Now, how's this boy going to act? He's going to sit here and when the church is going in, his eyes going to be bugged out. His frown's going to be turned upside down and he's smiling. He's saying, glory to God. Well, how long are you going to preach? <laughs> he wouldn't say that, but he'd be, wouldn't you be a little happy? Let's make it $100,000. Let's make it real, let's, let's make it too interesting. $100,000. And what if one of the stipulations was, all I want from you this morning in this service is to express thanksgiving for the word of God, and then after church is over, I'll give you 100,000 tax-free bucks. How would he act? Woo! Fanatical? Extreme? Maybe. You're not the extreme type, but he might be a little bit. <laughs> he might get that way. Wow, praise God. What's he thanking God for? What's he being thankful for? Mucho. Money. And you know what? When it's over, he gets his check. And he goes merrily on his way rejoicing. Let me tell you something. God has offered every one of you before you came through that door eternal life. At least if it's in your heart, he's offered it to you.
I can't, he can. I don't know who God saves or who he wants to save. I know what he uses to save them. That's what I do is talk. And then what transpires has to be in your heart. But you got something this morning that you can't buy. You got something that it can only be a gift. It comes by grace. You got something that never ends and never dies. It just goes on and on. And when you pass, when your eyes are shut in this life, they're open to another life of bliss and glory with God forever. You can't buy that. I'm thankful for that. When do you think your life, I don't know when it's going to end. It doesn't matter. It'll end when the day's up, when time is over, and time shall be no more. Woo! Um, little Tommy, play on your... I'd be there. In this life now, that's why Paul, whom should I be afraid? Death, where's your victory? Oh, grave, where's your sting? Where's the finality of life? That's not the finality of life. When you shut your eyes in this life, you go to that life. They weep over your body, what's left behind, but you're gone. And they perfume the thing and paint it and everything else they can. Say, oh, he looks so natural. He ain't natural. That's just his carcass. One of my sons asked me one time, said, I want to ask you a question. Well, I preach like that. So I said, go ahead. He said, what's well, a hard question to ask? So, all right, what's the, uh, what's the question? He said, where do you want to be buried when you die? I said, that's not a hard question. I said, I don't care. What difference would it make to me? I'm serious about that. The garden, if you can get it deep enough, keep them being dug up, put me in the garden. <coughs> I did. I said that. I know when my mom died, she told me, of course, she was a nickel pincher. She said, don't you spend much money, no more than you have to on my funeral. I said, well, mom, you know, I wanted to go out in style. My mother and I could talk like that. After she died, I went upstairs at the funeral home where all the cans are. And I, I said, what's the bottom you got? I want the cheapest thing in here. He said, well, it's back here in the corner. And I explained to him what my mom wanted. He said, I understand. And I looked at it and just kind of, I thought, I don't know if the handles would hold her up to get her. So I said, this is the next one. He said, yes. I said, how much is this one? He gave me a price. I'll take that one. You want to put her in the vault? No, just put her in the ground. Well, what if you have to have a vault? If you have to have a concrete vault, then get one. But call over there down in Columbia and see if you need one. They said, no. I said, then just put it. Dig the hole and put the casket on the ground and cover it up with dirt. And people say, well, don't you even care about your mother? My mother is gone. I'll probably see her again. And she'll point that finger at me and I can't believe you said all that about me. We get so wrapped up in so many things that are fruitless and vain. It's not like you don't have respect for people that die. I do. Obviously, I do. And I did. Everything, a death should have a certain amount of dignity to the finalization of it. There should be a form of closure to where you don't grieve the rest of your life. But our life is not this life, it's the next life. And that's what our faith is for, that God who rescued me from dying spiritually has given me a life in the next life. Praise God. It's like living, when you're living by faith, you're living with expectation of hope. And the thing that gives reality to hope is your faith. 
Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Turn to Colossians 2. Colossians chapter 2. And verse 7. Notice four observations here in verse 7. I just want to point out four things. I don't have time to preach on but if you're a preacher here this morning, this is a good sermon. There's four things, four observations concerning thanksgiving. The third thing mentioned here is what we'll start with, as you have been taught. Teaching is one of the most necessary, vital, and wonderful, and challenging things you'll experience in this life. Because God never leaves you alone, goes beyond where you draw the marker, he goes beyond. But he said, as you have been taught, secondly, you should be rooted and built up in him. Now that's a choice you have to make. God gives the reasons to be rooted. He gives you the opportunity to be rooted and built up. You have to take advantage of it. If you don't think you need it, then you won't get it. But that's the second thing. The third thing is, and be established in the faith. Established, the word established means to be firm or reliable. So as to warrant security and inspire confidence. That's what established means. In other words, faith does something aggressive. Faith is an aggressive virtue. That when it's in your heart, it is constantly busy. Inspiring you. You can quench it. You can quench the spirit, can't you? But the spirit of God is always moving you in a deeper realm with the Lord, of which you have to use your faith to get there. That's how we live. You have to believe that the things he's showing you is of God. You have to believe that you're taking the right step. You have to believe. You have to constantly believe. It's when you quit believing. It's when you've reached the borders of as far as you want to go that you quit being thankful. We call it backing off or backsliding. The dead praise not the Lord. If you're dead spiritually, you don't praise the Lord. And when you get to be where you're quiet and you go into the house of God like they did in the Old Testament with all their sacrifices and stuff. Oh, good. Their heart wasn't in it. They were not thankful. This is what he warns us about. Because the fourth thing he said, you should abound therein with thanksgiving. Abounding therein. With thanksgiving. You in this room this morning, those of you out there. Thanksgiving. Isn't that what we do when we sit down to eat? Do you all pray before you eat? The prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving. All foods are good if they are received with thanksgiving. You can even eat the wily hog if you're thankful. If you want that. Or you can eat an oyster or a shrimp. Lobsters. Now, those were condemned in the Old Testament, but you can have them in the New if you're thankful. How many people never pray? They just sit down and start eating. They get their food and nice plate of food, were able to pay for it, didn't, not even challenging what it costs, and you just start running it down. Never a pause to say, Lord, I want to thank you for my daily bread, because we're told to thank you for that. Didn't he say that? Our Father's art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, then if he does, shouldn't you say thank you? Well, you should. Even if you get a hamburger at McDonald's, you better give thanks. 
When the Bible verse said, nothing shall by any means harm you, you better give thanks. You don't know what's in it. I don't either. But I believe that when I pray, it is nothing shall by any means harm you. I believe that. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the Mark 11, 24 verses. All these years, what things ever you desire when you pray, believe you have received them. And if when you pray, you believe you've got it, you'll get it. That's been a tattooed on my heart for 40 years. And other places in Ephesians 3 and 20 and, and so on and so forth. And that God is able to do how exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. Isn't it something you're thinking of getting a new certain kind of a car and God thinks of something better. He'll give you what you ask for. But he's able to give you better and more. Isn't he? Fourthly, this morning, turn to Psalms 32 and verse 8. How can we end this year without Psalms 32, 8? What a wonderful, wonderful thing to be thankful for this morning is counsel. God's good advice. God's good, we'll call it counsel. That's what the Bible calls it. God's good counsel. He says, I will instruct thee and teach thee the way you should go. He said, I will guide you or I will counsel you how. And I will guide thee with mine eye. Let me give you another translation. The end of that says in the American Standard Version said, I will counsel thee with my eye upon thee. I will counsel thee with my eye upon thee. The Bible in basic English, which is a little radical in this, some of its translation, it says this. My eye shall be your guide. Now you think of it before we leave this morning, before we go. God Almighty has promised to the likes of us his counsel. He said, I will talk to you. I will show you the way I want you to go. I'll make you known by various ways, a revelation, some sort of a thing, bing, or somebody will say something, and when they do, you'll get a thing. But I will guide you and direct you. I will make you to know the truth. And I will lead you in a way that is right. I will keep my eye on you. And I'll never let you get out of my sight. What about that? I will not let you get out of my sight. I will guide you. It's like I will put my hand upon you. And before you start walking, I will instruct you and teach you. Oh, how many times I sit in that other room through the years. Or we've been here 20 years, I, all these years. And I have said to God, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say here. I don't know. I, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what I don't know how to deal with this. 40 years, you get a little, lot of things to deal with. I don't know. And it comes back to this verse, something just sort of. Back to Psalms 32, where I keep that ribbon in my Bible, keep it there all the time. He said, I will instruct you and teach you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. Let me tell you something. I do not believe it could ever be better in anything, anywhere than that. To always know what God wants you to do. I will teach you. How does he teach it? Well, we were, part of it's right here. Some of it is when you go home. 
riding in your car, listening to a, another message or listening to the Bible on tape or reading something or just thinking, meditating. How many times do we get alone? Those who do it, sitting at the breakfast table in the morning when it's very quiet and you're pondering what you just read. And little things creep into the picture. It's one of the ways that God is showing you a better way, a deeper way, or a more proper way to go. Who does he do that for? You and me. I will teach you. And I will guide you. I will counsel you. I will guide you. I will dispense divine and heavenly information to you about the way I want you to go. And I'm going to keep my eye on you and not take it off of you because you're going to go where I'm directing you. I didn't choose you to fail. I chose you to victory, which is my next point. I thank God this morning for the victory. You should thank God this morning for the victory in your life. By natural means, we should have quit a long time ago. This is too hard, too far, too young, too old, too slow, too something. And yet, something in there keeps chugging. Come on. Come on. And you stay with it. As he said in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, God always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Is that not a cause for being thankful? It really is. We should all be thankful for that. And in closing, this is a word for all of us. It applies to all of us, but I want to remind you, fugions, of something. And I'll close with Jeremiah 30. All my fugion crowd here today. You see, I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for this assembly. I've had a lot of people through the years, and you've heard them, they come by here and said, you folks should be thankful. They're not talking about the preacher so much, and they, they really aren't. They're not talking about, oh, you should be glad you got this preacher. No, you should be glad for what you've got here. You've got a body of believers. If you go on vacation, you can come back to something that'll be here, and God will minister to you here. You got freedoms here. Nobody has more freedom than I do. If the world out there knew how much freedom I had and how well you've made it for me, they'd all envy me. I'm blessed. But it's the way it should be because God is making it the way it should be. It's supposed to be like this. This is the way it ought to work. Now, I'm thankful for you all. I want you to know that at the end of this year. I am thankful that I am a part of this assembly. I am thankful that I have as friends, people that I know do care, will care, who love and who will pray and who know how to pray more than anybody else I know of. I know there are lots of folks maybe watching this morning or listening to this message that have no place to go. It's like being in some desert. And all they have is what they get on their tapes. That's what we used to say years ago. Now they're saying it. That God brought us together here and has kept us in this church for over 30 years. The lifespan of faith churches hadn't been very long. They seemed to rise up and then self-destruct. And we have held together. I have a place to come to. 
I have a reason to get up and go into this building every day and enjoy moments being alone. You say, well, there's something wrong with you. There were else there's something right with me. So we need to take a break. I'm breaking all the time. I enjoy what I do. Isn't that all right? But it's because I pastor a church which gives me that. They've declined a bit. They've lost their praise and their worship like they had years ago. They're not as exuberant as they once were, but they do that by choice because nobody makes us like that. But are you Fugians and you Ogians still here? Look at verse 19. Listen carefully at this. Verse 19. I'm applying this to you all. And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of them that make merry. And I will multiply them and they shall not be few. I will also glorify them and they shall not be small. Their children also shall be as aforetime, as we have read earlier. And their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all that oppress them. And their nobles shall be of themselves, and other governors shall proceed from the midst of them. Rise up from our midst, and I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this that engageth his heart to approach unto me, saith the Lord? And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Do you know that when it comes time to make a change, that God himself will effect the change? And we'll know it. We'll know it. Won't be a question about it. We'll know it. And it's going to happen with young folks. You know how many churches are left in this country, in this county that has young people in it? They're all dying. Our friends in Virginia, Brother Guthrie, just bought a church a building. That's what a church is. Because the congregation had fallen down to six people. That pastor and his wife were two of them. Had four people. This little group right here was church. And they were all old. All past their prime. No young people. What we say here about your children, about being established, being merry. I'm believing that for you. Amen. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, you have been good to us. You have blessed us, and we give you thanks this morning. With grateful hearts, as our song says, we praise you and give you thanks. You have rescued us as you would rescue the perishing. You have equipped us. You have robed us with righteousness. You guide us. You lead us. You watch over us. You motivate us. You inspire us. You save us. Everything we have, we owe thanks to you for it. Everything. And as this year comes to an end, we give you thanks that this year, while it was difficult for some, you brought us through it. You did not abandon us. And you've given us hope so that we do not lean on the world for our future, but upon your word. And while a thousand may fall at our side and 10,000 at our right hand, it will not happen to us. For you will keep us and guide us and protect us. 
I ask especially this morning that your favor and grace will rest upon everybody that is here, all of those that are watching or listening to the CD or the DVD, that there is a quickening work that you're doing as we listen. There is something that is moving in our hearts, directing us to your word so that light can shine. Give us light in this coming year as we've never had it before. Give us direction as we have never known it. And I ask you to bless everybody in this room that none should fail or walk away. In Jesus' name, amen.